This is The 101, a podcast where we journey up and down Highway 101 along California's central and south coasts, sharing discoveries, stories and conversations. From Thousand Oaks to Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo and beyond. I'm your host, Michelle Loxton. It's the final episode of Season 3, a season about things lost and found. California's last operational nuclear power plant is perched on the ocean's edge near the city of San Luis Obispo on the central coast. Diablo Canyon was due to close in 2025, but it's unlikely that's going to happen and why has been in the news a lot recently. Here's a news clip from KCLU's Lance Roscoe back in April of this year. There's been a push for years to close Diablo over safety concerns. Facing a number of expensive upgrades to meet environmental guidelines, PG&E agreed to a timeline to shut down the plant. The state has been pushing for its closure. But a spokesman for Governor Gavin Newsom says the governor wants to ensure the state has the power it needs while it transitions to renewable energy. Basically, as California struggles to meet its ambitious renewable energy goals, there are concerns that without Diablo Canyon, there will be more demand for electricity than the current grid can supply. So lawmakers decided to temporarily extend the life of the aging plant as a bridge to that clean energy future. But this controversial decision is not what this episode is about. Instead, we're fast forwarding to the inevitable end of Diablo Canyon and the beginning of decommissioning. A process many may be surprised to learn can take decades and will cost taxpayers billions of dollars. Diablo Canyon right now, they're saying, oh, we're going to do it for $4 billion. Well, if you look 30 years down the road, that $4 billion could easily become $10 billion, $20 billion. There's the part of decommissioning or closing a nuclear power plant that you have to deal with in perpetuity. You know, possibly forever. And that's the nuclear waste. But that whole business of burdening generations for 10,000 years to take care of something that cannot escape into the environment is a huge ethical question. There's also something that's always there, the risks to a nuclear power plant and its leftover waste. Things like earthquakes, sea level rise, terrorism, war. Last of three backup power lines to the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Just days before, all three lines had been disconnected, in part due to shelling. Concerns about a nuclear disaster there have loomed for months. NPR's Kat Lonsdorf is in Kyiv, and she has been... In this episode of The 101, the true cost of Diablo Canyon is going to be in its decommissioning and what that means for the community of San Luis Obispo County. Support for The 101 comes from KCLU listeners and Cottage Health. For nearly 130 years, Cottage Health has been providing advanced medical care for patients throughout California. Nationally recognized for quality care and patient satisfaction, the team at Cottage Health puts patients first with excellence, integrity, and compassion. Services include the Cottage Heart and Vascular Center, Cottage Center for Orthopedics, Cottage Children's Medical Center, and Santa Barbara Neuroscience Institute. More at cottagehealth.org.
This is The 101. I'm Michelle Luxton. California's largest single source of electricity, about 10% of it, comes from Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Plant. And that electricity is carbon-free. This plant sits on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, west of San Luis Obispo and south of Morro Bay. A lot of power plants loom large in the communities they reside. This one, not so much. The plant is miles from the closest community, and perhaps the only reason you'd be travelling in that direction is to hike the beautiful nature trails of the state park that neighbours the plant. Diablo Canyon's tucked away seven miles down a road, out of sight, to a large number of people out of mind. This is Bruce Gibson, the current chair of the San Luis Obispo County Board of Supervisors. He's been a supervisor since 2007. I connected with him and all of my interviewees over Zoom. My guess is that 85 to 90% of the population hardly ever think of it. It's not on the radar of many people, even the locals. So why should we care about this plant? Even if it's not going to happen on its original schedule, Diablo Canyon will eventually be decommissioned. And that decommissioning process will not be quick. It could take decades, cost billions of dollars, with the end product possibly being 100-plus canisters of spent nuclear waste stored at the site in perpetuity. That impacts San Luis Obispo County and its residents, of course. But the cost and risks to decommissioning should be something we all pay attention to. To fully understand what this process will be like, it helps to have a case study of sorts. Luckily, there is something like that. The now decommissioned Humboldt Bay nuclear power plant, located over 500 miles north of Diablo Canyon, also on the California coast. I've been here since 1966, and uh, I'm living in the same place for the last 50 years, actually. Meet Michael Manitas, a longtime Humboldt Bay resident and a retired professor from Humboldt Bay State University, now known as Cal Poly Humboldt. As part of the Environmental Engineering Department for over 20 years, he taught a class on the decommissioning of the Humboldt Bay nuclear power plant and was appointed to the Community Advisory Board following that decommissioning, which meant many trips to the plant over the years. Because nobody knew anything about what was going on. Um, And so I, uh, you know, learned a lot myself and I brought in all kinds of expertise to examine what the process was. Why is Humboldt Bay a good case study for us to use? Well, firstly, the decommissioning has been completed. The whole process is done. It's also like Diablo Canyon, right on the ocean's edge, with some of the same concerns like earthquake faults and marine impacts. And lastly, they're both operated by Pacific Gas and Electric, or PG&E. A note here, despite multiple requests to PG&E for an interview for this episode, I never heard back. So by studying Humboldt Bay's decommissioning, we can get an idea of what to expect. With everyone I spoke to for the story, the two most important factors about decommissioning came down to the costs and the risks. Let's start with the costs. After operating for only 13 years, 
Humboldt Bay Nuclear Power Plant went offline in 1976 after the discovery of an earthquake fault below it. Everything in the facility is going to be removed and the site will be restored back to what it naturally was before the plant was built there. So it went offline in the mid-1970s. Actual decommissioning only started in 2009. The site was completely decommissioned last year, 2021, meaning from the moment it went offline to the end of decommissioning, the process took 45 years. Menidas kept a tab on the money being spent to decommission. The cost of decommissioning is something that's, that's enormous and it's really uncalculable. The total projected cost was originally put at $95 million, he says, but ended up being just over a billion dollars. Before decommissioning began, 1976 to 2008, Menidas estimates another half a billion dollars was spent caretaking the plant after it went offline. And the costs aren't over. There are six casks on the site today. These are huge canisters of spent high-level nuclear waste left over after decommissioning. They have to be kept safe, and that costs money. The PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, has authorized PG&E to collect uh, $150 million to safeguard that waste to the year 2035. And those canisters could be there for a very, very long time. There's been talk for years about a federal site for high-level nuclear waste, spent fuel. But that hasn't happened yet. So like many sites across the U.S., Humboldt Bay is stuck with its nuclear waste. And that waste stays highly radioactive for thousands of years. The waste that literally is going to stay with us in the environment for uh, 10,000 years. Manita says they have been told these storage vessels are sufficient for up to 80 years. The industry says originally they told us, oh, it's good for 40 years. Uh, Now they're saying, oh, they're good for 60 years. Gee, maybe 80 years. Okay, that's beside the point. The point is, is that at the end of 80 years or 60 years or 40 years, what happens to these casks? They're going to degrade. So they have to keep an eye on what to do with the aging canisters storing waste that lasts for thousands of years. The safe storage of the waste adds up to a lot of money for taxpayers for a plant that ran for just over a decade a long time ago. The analogy I use is like you buy an automobile, you buy a Cadillac, and 10 years later you it's, it's run its course and you either sell it or take it to the junkyard. And uh, then for the rest of your life, you're going to get a bill a dollar or two dollars a month because you own that Cadillac to take care of the the muffler that is highly radioactive and has to be watched over for 10,000 years. I mean, it's uh, mind-boggling. Okay, so those are the mind-boggling costs, as Medidas puts it. In our case study, let's move on to risks. During decommissioning, there are risks to dismantling a plant. You know, the actual buildings and everything in it. They have to then go in and very carefully remove that, either robotically or with people with suits on. 16,000 truckloads of the low-level waste from reactor operations were transported off-site, Manita says. It's a very, very expensive, difficult technology to tear 
take this stuff apart and then to package it and then to ship it someplace wherever it's going to go. Then there are the environmental and external risks. What happens if there's an earthquake or tsunami? Think Fukushima in Japan. What about war? Europe's largest nuclear plant, Zaporizhia, wasn't on many people's radar until Russia invaded Ukraine. And then there's the more likely and imminent threat to the Humboldt Bay site specifically, sea level rise. This is Jennifer Marlowe, Assistant Professor of Environmental Law at Cal Poly Humboldt. The bluff upon which the spent nuclear fuel at Humboldt Bay is stored, it's 115 feet away from the shoreline and 44 feet above sea level. And so it used to be 96 feet about high, and now it's 44 feet high. And so it's a particularly erosive part of Humboldt Bay over time as erosion accelerates, as sea level rises, and as that seawall currently protecting the bluff might be breached. Marlowe explains what this means for the riprap retainer wall, also known as a seawall, currently protecting the site and the shoreline. With one and a half meters of sea level rise, there would be chronic or monthly overtopping of that riprap wall. And with two meters of sea level rise, that riprap wall would be overtopped daily at high tide. And it would make the spent nuclear fuel site an island with everything around it submerged by the rising sea. Marlow says credible tsunami risks have also been looked into, and reports suggest the maximum tsunami run-up level is 43 feet, dangerously close to where the site sits currently at 44 feet. What we don't know is how sea level rise is going to impact the tsunami run-up estimates into the future. So how does this all compare to Diablo Canyon. Of course, we can't do a complete apples-to-apples comparison, but we can make some educated assumptions. Let's first look at the size and lifespan of the plants for comparison and what that means for the leftover nuclear waste. Humboldt Bay was a 65-megawatt nuclear power plant. Diablo Canyon is over 30 times bigger at over 2,000 megawatts. Humboldt Bay operated for 13 years. Diablo Canyon has been operating for 37. Essentially, this all means a lot more nuclear waste. Far more than the six canisters at Humboldt Bay. Mike Medidas has done some math and he puts the eventual number at Diablo Canyon at around 300 canisters. I put this eye-popping number to another one of my sources, David Weissman, the Legislative Director for the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility. The Alliance opposes nuclear power because it says it's too expensive and cumbersome for what it delivers. It has been actively involved in the decommissioning plans. So how many nuclear waste canisters would be stored on the site after decommissioning? Weissman lives in Morrow Bay, just north of Diablo Canyon. His estimate is a lot less than Manitas' 300. My number was like 138. In other words, if the plant runs to the end of its life that has planned 2025, they have about 70 up there now, and they've ordered another 68, 70 from this new vendor. Either way, it's a huge number compared to Humboldt Bay. 
a lot more highly radioactive waste to keep an eye on and store safely for those thousands of years. The biggest question we would have also of the longevity of the canisters is it's a marine environment. It may not be immediately impacted by tsunami or erosion, but you've got the fog, the cold air, the mist, and they're absolutely going to have to maintain a vigilant program to make sure that rust and corrosion doesn't affect the canisters. And Diablo Canyon, because of its size and how long it's been operating, has a ton of that low-level waste as well. All the toxics involved in the building have to be carefully wrapped and transported away. Weissman says at first the plan was to transport thousands of loads of this waste off-site by truck, like they did at Humboldt Bay. Avila Valley Road is a little winding road that leads from the plant. There were going to be thousands of truckloads, and the local people are like, what? So a decision was made. All right, for most of the bulky stuff, we're going to build a dock where the intake is. I'm going to load it on a barge and send it down to like Port Wainimi or something like that. Low-level waste on barges or trucks. All of this, as with the theme of this episode, has risks and costs a lot of money. Let's now turn to environmental and external factors. Weissman has already pointed to one of them, marine impacts. Let's look at some others. Sea level rise is not as much of a concern for Diablo Canyon as in Humboldt Bay, Weissman says. The canisters are stored up the hill over 200 feet above sea level. What about earthquakes? Well, PG&E has long maintained that the plant could withstand an earthquake. But the plant is located close to several earthquake faults and many locals have voiced concern about its safety for decades. One of the main factors in the original plans to shut down Diablo Canyon was the high cost of retrofitting it to meet updated environmental regulations. Talking about money, let's look at the total cost of decommissioning. In 2021, the California Public Utilities Commission approved an estimated $3.9 billion needed to safely decommission the plant. But remember our professor from Humboldt Bay, Mike Menides, and how he kept an accounting of that decommissioning? He believes the costs will go up. Diablo Canyon right now, they're saying, oh, we're going to do it for $4 billion. Well, if you look 30 years down the road, that $4 billion could easily become $10 billion, $20 billion. And finally, let's turn to the timeline. Compared to Humboldt, it seems decommissioning at Diablo Canyon, when it does actually start, will be a lot quicker. PG&E has details on their website about their plans for decommissioning. On its page dedicated to the process, it says after the plant is shut down, quote, Decommissioning will begin promptly and the process will take approximately 10 years, end quote. David Weissman and I discussed what this would look like if shutdown plans were still going ahead on the original timeline. In theory, by about 2035, the soil would be flat, the domes and the structures are gone. They'd regrade the hillside, plant it with native vegetation. And so by the mid to late 2030s, It should have looked like nothing had ever been there. Except for the waste that's sitting in the canisters. Two football fields or three football fields up on the hill. But again, the benefit is the entire security perimeter shrinks to just that area. 
that opens up the land, which is what the reach people and these others were looking at, or the native tribes and the indigenous tribes are now looking at it as well. The reach people Weissman is referring to there is a regional economic group that has put forward a plan to turn the fully decommissioned site into a clean energy innovation tech park with desalination, battery storage, wind energy and community centre. This was a plan that many local political leaders and community groups had signed on to. I wanted to end this episode with the reason why I decided to tell the story of Diablo Canyon in the first place. Why we should care. Beyond the cost to rate and taxpayers across the state, the risks associated with having a nuclear power plant and its leftover waste nearby is mostly on the local community. Bringing Bruce Gibson back in here, the San Luis Obispo County Supervisor. The risk of those things, the impact of an accident, a bad outcome in any of those issues rests physically on San Luis Obispo County. Gibson has a background in geophysics and has been involved in monitoring Diablo Canyon's operations for many years. Diablo Canyon has been a big deal in San Luis Obispo County for a very long time. And there's a great diversity of view about it. Um, There are those who have long objected to its construction and its operation. And there are those who are extremely supportive of it because of its uh, impact on our economy. It is uh, easily the, the single largest private employer in our in our county and has provided a great number of uh, well-paying head of household jobs. Despite the polarizing local opinions about the plant, he says he understands why it needs to stay open a little longer. I am comfortable with its operation and I certainly understand the case to be made that uh, extending its life for a certain amount of time in the time we are transitioning to renewable energy could provide some benefits to the entire state of California. He says he tries to stay neutral when representing the overall interests of his community. And I see my job as holding PG&E and the other regulatory bodies accountable for doing the best possible job of mitigating those impacts. There's the risk of, a, of an accident while the plants operate. That's obviously very much top of everybody's mind. But more than that, there's the issue, for instance, of the spent fuel that's still stored out on that site. And so far as we can see, is going to be there for the rest of my life. I asked him about how he approaches an issue that will remain relevant far beyond the lifespan of his political career. But that whole business of burdening generations for 10,000 years to take care of something that cannot escape into the environment is a huge ethical question. So we benefited from this and, hey kids, here's, here's your legacy, right? We talk about all the time about the programs we have to put in place for that are much longer than terms in office. For Gibson, in the end, it all comes down to never being able to disengage from what is happening at Diablo Canyon. Now, I, I can't be one of those folks that just lets it, lets it go. I have, to, I have to be thinking about it. Never lose sight of the fact of its benefit and its risk 
I think we can get successfully to the next phase, and I'm, I'm certainly hopeful for that. Head over to kclu.org slash podcast, where you'll find a link to the text or digital version of this episode if you want to revisit some of the data and the numbers I've mentioned. The 101 is produced by KCLU Public Radio. We are NPR for the California coast. This episode was edited by Elisa Barber. I'm Michelle Luxton, the host and creator of The 101. If you have an idea or a story for one of our next seasons, email me at podcast at kclu.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about it today. I'd also love it if you'd rate or review our podcast. This is The 101. Thanks for listening. Thank you.